Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. Welcome back. I'm so excited that we figured out how to uh, revisit our podcast. I've missed you. I've missed you too. We've had our we've missed our weekly check check ins. So we mentioned before when we ended our last series, which was focused on Boston and ended right after Boston, that we wanted to do it again, but we wanted to be intentional and we wanted it to have a purpose. And we really thought long and hard about what would what you know what what would we want to do and what would people want to listen to and what would be meaningful to us? And throughout our years as runners, we've read about and met so many inspirational runners that really drive home to us um, how running simulates life and how so many things about running transfer over to life. And so we decided to pick a few inspirational runners and interview them and, and introduce them to all of our listeners. And the runners we've selected aren't necessarily inspirational because of their race times. They're inspirational because they've overcome unimaginable obstacles and used running as a vehicle to continue to succeed or in some cases to um, recover from those obstacles. And in some cases to change their lives completely. Yeah. And the lives of others, which is really, it, it's humbling to me. Uh, we, we're going to listen shortly to our first guest, Sean Livingston, who uh, is, uh, which everyone will hear, um, was, uh, was an addict and used running through the program Back on My Feet to overcome that. And not only over, when I, when we started that this interview, I thought we were going to listen to a great story about how running helps save somebody from addiction. And, and that's part of the story. But so much more of the story is about how uh, that was really the catalyst for him to discover his true self and to turn his entire life around and help so many, so many people. Yeah, we were really honored to have him on as our first guest to kick off the series. And how we found Sean is we saw an article about him in Runner's World. And Runner's World does such a nice job of finding people who... Human interest stories. Yeah. yeah. And then I was really sparked by this story because uh, it talked about his overcoming his addiction to heroin, which um, initially started as opioids, which we'll learn more about in the interview shortly. But... Um, I used to be a public defender. I, I did that for several years before going over to the Department of Justice. And um, many of the clients I represented had some sort of addiction. And the crimes that they were charged with and some of whom committed were the result often of behaviors that they just couldn't control as a result of those addictions. And to meet someone and talk with someone who was able to overcome that is really unique because our system isn't set up for that type of success. You have to really overcome a lot of obstacles. Right. And you've seen how how, how hard that is and the rates of recidivism that come with oh, it's how impossible. hard it's really hard to get out of yeah. the cycle. It's, yeah. it's, it's really difficult. So this is really notable yeah. that he broke the cycle. Totally. So yeah. So but in any case, well, first of all, let's talk yeah. about what's gone on in the last 
uh, two months yeah. since we've been on the podcast. You were just hopping around my kitchen, showing me all of your new <laughs> your new skills that you have and how great you are doing after your surgery. So why don't you update everybody about surgery and recovery and how it's going? So um, it's going well. I had my surgery on May 1st. Dr. Samuel Sanders operated on me. He's the one I mentioned during our last series that said that my knee was precious. And so he he did a great job. I don't think that it's anything complicated. I had a partial meniscus uh, removal. And what he did note was when he went in there, which the MRI did not show, my meniscus, the part of it that had been torn, was wrapped around my knee like a scarf. And why that's relevant is because I had probably had sustained this injury from some sort of fall. It was a very abrupt sort of injury. It wasn't a degenerative meniscus tear as they typically show. When did you fall? Do you remember falling? Um, You know, I've fallen before on runs. Just like last summer, I tripped, I remember, and fell after a run. Just like wasn't paying attention and just kind of tripped and fell. And I had, it was one of those falls where I used my hand to break, but I did fall on my right side. I remember I took a couple of days off and it was my right knee. Now I have no reason to believe that's what caused it, but it made me feel better to know that it was sort of a, a traumatic type of tear and not something that was degenerative because that means that it's likely not going on in my other knee, which was my concern. But my point with this is that um, I didn't have pain from this. And I've probably been walking around with this for a while because it was wrapped around my knee. There was nothing rubbing against. So it's cartilage. Usually it rubs against something and that's what causes discomfort. I didn't have any of that. So I almost feel like this Boston training saved me from something that could have been much worse. Um, it's a weird thing. I'm, I'm recovering from it. And I also want to add that MRIs don't always tell the full story. So it's important to, to trust an MRI, but also to get different opinions. Trust but verify. Yeah, trust but verify. <laughs> but uh, long story short, I rec- the recovery was relatively easy from the surgery. I was in pain for a couple of days, but I didn't even need painkillers for this one. And I was really good about keeping my knee um, on this sort of ice compression machine that um, I rented through Dr. Sanders that I had at my house. And within a few days, I was on a bike per physical therapy instructions, just doing some no weight, easy cycling, no just to get thinking, yeah. no resistance thinking, thank you, just to get things going. And I started uh, doing this uh, modality through physical therapy over at rehab to perform pretty quickly after, and it's called blood restriction therapy. And um, what you do is they take what's analogous to like a tourniquet and they wrap it around the right above the where the injury is. So in my case, it was wrapped around my thigh, sort of like a blood pressure cuff. And it creates a sensation that you're not getting a lot of circulation to the area temporarily. And then you do um, exercises with that restriction. So it feels like you have heavy weight on your the area to strengthen the muscle, but really you're not using any weight. It sounds crazy, but there's been a lot of data on this and that it's a really effective modality and they're the people who do it. So um, I've been doing that and I've also been checking in regularly with Rachel Miller and she's been making sure that I'm making good progress. So between both uh, physical therapists, uh, Rachel and then Josh and Anthony over at Rehab to Perform, I'm, I feel like I'm in great hands. And then in addition to that, I'm still working um, one-on-one with Eric Giroux at Prime Fitness, and he's got me doing all kinds of uh, strength training just to stay strong. So 
these these things have kept me busy and my mind occupied, and it's made recovery a relatively uh, complicated yet fun sort of process. Something to focus on. If you've had you've yes. had purpose and focus, and yes. it hasn't like been like you've just been sitting around uh, doing nothing. So you've had you've had stuff on your to do list. You've been yes. staying busy. But I won't lie, I'm so over it. I yeah, mean, so I don't want to talk about like uh, I know you've had your moments and you've been so positive and you're so, you know, you have such a great attitude towards this, but I know it can't be easy. Uh, so talk about that a little bit. So it's been five weeks today and I'm ready to start running and I can't yet. I mean, I'm still not meeting the benchmarks, mainly hopping on one foot. When I hop on my bad leg where my, my surgery was, it's, it's, I'm not neuromuscularly connected yet. And so when I can hop on it, but I have to think a lot. And I am not going to go out there and run, even though I could, because running is obviously you, you are on one leg, one at a time. And if I'm not hopping well on one leg, I'm going to overcompensate on the other and cause injuries on the other side. So I know that logically, but you know, in my head, I kind of thought by now I'd be able to start slowly and I'm not. Um, and you know, I just it, the weather's beautiful. I miss running. Oh, it's I'm, hot and humid. Come oh, on, <laughs> I know, this, I know. Yeah. No, this couple of days we had it's it's, it's, it's kind of. I feel but. I feel a little <laughs> I uh, frustrated when I'm on the track with our runners, and I want to get out there and chit chat with everyone and run around the track with them. And instead, I'm standing. And, but you're great. We, you know, we're, yeah. And, I'm not running so much with you because we were really the purpose of our speed and strength is to help people with their form. And so really that takes standing there and watching them. So it's okay. We're good. We're good. Yeah. That's why we love being on the track is because we don't have to go far to see every, we can see everybody, everyone stays together. So, and you've been able to do that. Yeah. Much to our runner's dismay. I've, I've been really (laughs) picky picky about about form, but it's been, it's been great. I love coaching with you, speed and strength. I feel like I'm still a huge part of the running community by coaching. And it certainly is a great way to replace what I can't do. So I really am trying to focus on all of the things I can do. And I just feel, and I know a lot of people feel this way, I really need running right now. May and June are just so crazy for parents of school-age kids. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of stress. It's it's all good. None of it is is Right, but it's just that time it's to clear your mind outside running. Much. It doesn't really get replaced by time on a stationary bike. Correct. Or it's all great to get your exercise in that way, but that we all know as runners, that time yes. where you're out there running, you've got your thinking time. That that's that's hard to hard to live without at this time of year. I agree with you. So. Yeah, I need that meditative time. I'm not, and it'll come it. back. It will, yeah. We'll get there, right? Like, it will you're get very there. close and. By judging by the hopping you were doing around my house earlier, you look really good. Thank you. So, uh, so I'm I'm confident that's going to happen, and you'll just keep taking it, yeah, a step at a time. And in the meantime, you have been super involved in in the running community, and um, I know you're going to be at Lawyers Have Heart in DC yes. this weekend. Um, that that race is so special to me. Um, I am on the uh, board for Lawyers Have Heart, and the reason is not only was Lawyers of Heart my very first race ever, but it's a 10K and all funds go to the American Heart Association. And um, I lost my father to um, a heart attack many years ago. And um, it's a cause that's near and dear to me because a lot of it is preventable. And with the right resources and tools, and that's what AHA does, and getting those tools to people in underserved communities in the D.C. area so that they can make sure if they're 
diabetic or they have cardiovascular disease, that they have the right resources. That's what Lawyers Have Heart does. So I'm super excited to be out there. I wish I could run it, but I'm glad that you're running it, Lisa, and I'm I'll be, be there back. to cheer the, you This on. is my first time back. I have to figure out the last time I was there. I used to, when I was practicing, be the coordinator for the team for my, I was actually on the organizing committee too very many, many years ago. And then I was always the team coordinator for my different firm. So I was always the one getting everyone together and getting t-shirts. And, uh, and I don't think I've been back in at least 10 years, I'll have to check. So I'm so excited to go back and maybe see some of my old law firm friends. And I always love the shirts that uh, the teams come up with. One of my favorites was a friend of mine uh, works for an IP boutique in DC. And many years, again, last time I was there, it was probably 10 years ago. They all had on shirts that said IP in the streets of DC. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> they were awesome. So I love seeing the shirts. I love, uh, you know, just getting to see uh, a lot of the people that I knew from my firm and from other firms that are that are still hopefully still still there. So I'm excited. Hopefully we'll have some representation from the MCRC racing team. I know a couple other of our teammates are going to be there doing the 5K. Um, so it'll be fun. And I haven't been able to do it in many years. So yeah, it'll be a back. great morning. I think the weather looks good too. So if anyone's listening and you're interested, it's actually a relatively flat 5K. It starts in, and 10K. It starts and ends at the Georgetown Harbor. It's a really nice course. And while it's hot, it starts early in the morning and it's this Saturday, June 8th. And there's still time to register. You can even register day of, and it's a wonderful cause, a great spirited race, and let us huge. know if you're going to be there. We'll, yeah, we have a few runners that are doing it, mm-hmm. so we'll have we'll have some folks out on the course. So I'm excited. So Me you're too. still getting to stay involved, and you'll be back out on that race course very very soon. I know you will. I hope so. Thank you. You're welcome. So how are things with you? Tell me about your running and what's going on. Good. Not you know, I took some time to recover, a little time to recover after Boston. For we have a local race here, Pikes Peak 10K, which I really love, and I've been on the organizing committee for, and it's always uh, two weeks, a week or two weeks, depending on timing, after Boston. And I used to do it uh, right after Boston, pretty much every year. And uh, then uh, for several years, I stopped doing it right. I would be on the committee and help with volunteering, but I wouldn't do it right after Boston. And then a few last year, I decided to try. I think we had two weeks in between the dates. So I thought this decided to do it last year and it went well. So I decided to run it again this year. So ran that race, but then took some some recovery and I've done some shorter races since. I've been trying to do more of our Montgomery County Road Runners Club low-key races, which are free to members. So did the Memorial Four Miler, um, those are nice races to do. They're like said, they're low key. So just been getting it. I like summertime for me is a chance to get in some shorter races and, uh, which are always fun. Uh, and just a chance to take down the mileage. And I signed up for the Baltimore marathon okay. for the fall. That's my going to be my fall marathon. My, my, uh, criteria for my fall marathon were that I, I prefer that it be close and inexpensive because like you, we have a B'nai Mitzvah of our three kids coming up in November. No, not like me. Not, Mine's well, just you, one. <laughs> you have one. Right? You have one. We have three. So between the two of us, we have four. But so we've got a lot of planning and a lot of uh, expenses and a lot of logistics and a lot of things going on that I didn't think I would be in a position to be able to do any big travel at that time in the fall. So I'm going to do Baltimore, which heard mixed, you know, mixed reviews, but I think it's going to be great. And I, somebody pointed out to me, it can be my Maryland marathon because as many marathons as I've done, and we live in Maryland, I've never done a Maryland oh, marathon. Okay. Yeah. Because we don't, I mean, Marine Corps yeah. is DC and Virginia. Uh, Richmond I've done is Virginia. Uh, so we don't really have a lot of Maryland marathons. So this I can use to check off my list of, you know, as, of, of my states that I do, um, that I've done uh, my Maryland marathon. So that's what I'll plan for, for the fall. And in between I'll do, 
um, you know, some of these shorter distance races and just enjoy. I love summer running because I'm somebody who likes running. Me too. In the heat. I just love, I love the feel, especially early in the morning when it's like that quiet and just Mm -hmm. that the humidity just starting to set in. I, so I just, I like summer running. So I'm enjoying it. I'm happy that we're back to summer weather running. I'll never complain about the heat. I'll plenty complain about the cold, but enjoying it while it lasts. And we have a lot of travel coming up this uh, summer too. So, you know, nothing, no, no big training. Just, I know that the travel will get in, a little bit in the way of, of running. Well, that sounds great. And um, we also have continuing to have our free community run. So if anyone is inclined this month, like every month, we have a Saturday morning monthly run at Lululemon Downtown Crown. And also, we're doing Thursday night runs this summer. Yep. So yeah, the our- store has a Thursday night mm-hmm. run, and we go when we can. I'll be there mm-hmm. uh, tonight. So today is Thursday, and I'll mm-hmm. be there tonight. And we go when we can. Um, but Jay Barsotti at the store is organizing the Thursday group runs, and the nice nice group that shows mm-hmm. up. It's a two-mile route that can be loop that can be done several times for people who want to get a little bit more mileage. And our next Saturday run is June 22nd, June 22nd at 9am. And speaking of racing and running, we also have two goal races that we love and they're both the goal races for our speed and strength program. And for those of you who aren't local, our speed and strength program is a track based program. We do every spring into summer for runners of all levels to work on form speed and strength. And we have guest trainers and speakers after Sunday track workouts who come and do strength training. And it's an amazing program. Everybody improves and we've seen improvements already. So we have two goal races that go with the program. And one is a super fun race, Suds and Souls. So for those who live in the DC area, it involves beer and running in the evening. What could be yeah, more fun than that? Don't have to wake up early for a race. You totally. come in the evening, finish with a beer waiting, literally waiting for you as you cross the finish line, a mug and a beer. It's the best. So Suds and Souls. And and then our other goal race is one of our favorite races that we've run together a lot is the Autism Speaks 5K, which is in Potomac. And there is an inaugural Autism Speaks 5K on the 14th, I believe, in Fairfax this year as well. So two great races. Again, those nice 5K races, shorter distance, yes. doable for any level. Lots of walkers come out for both of them. So any level, just fun community races coming so up. So if anyone's interested in signing up for either of those, email us at julianlisa at runfarthernfaster.com. We have promo codes for both. So just send us an email and we'll give those to you. And I'm going to say this here on the podcast. My goal is to be able to run the Autism Speaks 5K I think that's doable as long as things continue to go well. And I may not be racing it, of course, but just being out there running it with my community will be such a gift for me. So I'm very hopeful that I'll be able to be out there and join you and do that race. Awesome. I think that's a good goal. So we're going to conclude this segment and go into Sean Livingston. And I think, Lisa, instead of um, one of us doing a formal introduction, I think we'll just roll right into it and just talk about it for a moment here. He's he's um, someone who's served in the army. He um, went through a lot in his life and he's going to talk about that. But And you can, we'll put in the show notes too, yeah. seanlivingston.com and wokethemonster.com are two of the, the seanlivingston.com is his website. And then his documentary that's coming out is wokethemonster.com. So you can get more information there as well. And I feel like I, there, there aren't enough words to thank him for his service and sacrifice because- And his candor in yeah. his discussion with us, which I think- but his military service yeah, absolutely. led to a lot of this. And he he clearly represents service and sacrifice. So absolutely. Um, I don't know Sean 
personally, but I feel like I do after our conversation and I I couldn't be prouder of this man. I mean, or more inspired by him. So we hope those of you listening will also find inspiration wherever you are in your life. And if you know someone who you think could benefit from this episode, we encourage you to share it with them. So without further delay, here is Sean Livingston. Sean Livingston, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. First guest in our second series that we're so excited to launch after yesterday's global running day, so an appropriate appropriate timing. And we got such great feedback from our first podcast. And we mentioned at the end of our first podcast, we wanted to come back with some intentionality and with a purpose and with a focus. And we have decided to interview some of the most inspirational uh, runners that we've met along the way, along while we were filming our, our taping our last podcast, and just throughout throughout our the last uh, you know last several months, and we are kicking it off with you. So thank you so much for being our first guest on this second series. Well, thank you guys for asking me. I'm very honored. So Sean, to start off, while you are a runner now, we think it's very important that you share with our listeners what life was like for you before you became a runner. So if you could go way back and tell us first a little bit about you, where are you from? And um, a little bit about your family to start off. All right. Uh, I'm from a little blue collar steel town from Youngstown, Ohio. It's the Northeast tip of Ohio. I'm I'm an Ohioan. (laughs) Oh, there we go. And so, uh, from there, and I was always, uh, you know, an athlete, basketball player, football player, baseball player growing up and stuff like that. And uh, there just isn't, you know, you being from Ohio, I'm sure you know, there, once the once the steel mills went under uh, back when I was very young, there's just not very much opportunity in that area. So yeah. my, mom, my mom's a teacher. She teaches at Youngstown State. And uh, my stepdad was a steel worker. And <laughs> so... Uh, just being a wild and crazy young man, I had started to get into, you know, getting uh, not big trouble, but just, you know, young, young mischief and uh, realized I needed uh, needed a direction. So I joined the military and uh, at first started out of high school, I joined the, the Air Force Reserves and I went and I did my time in there and uh, got out and then was looking to get back in and actually joined up with the Army. And that's what ended up getting me, bringing me to Texas and where I'm at now and everything like that. And how long did you serve in the army? Uh, a little, a little over. And did you serve, where did you serve? I was, so I got, I got stationed in Fort Hood, uh, about halfway through, halfway through my army time, we had gotten deployed over to Iraq and, uh, that Right, right around that time uh, was, was when most of my problems had started. I had gotten hurt, got hurt training for Iraq and uh, suffered a back injury. And um, they, at, at the time, the education on, you know, the opioid epidemic and stuff was just not then what it is now. So the, at the time, the, mili- the thing the military did was give you a bottle of pills and sent you back out there. So, and the military really breeds a, a culture Unfortunately, I don't know if it's changed now, but back then, if, if you weren't out there in the fight, if you weren't out, you know, at work out there with, you know, all the other guys, 
you were like you were kind of looked at as as if you were trying to get out of something so me being a competitive person that kept driving me back out there hurt and so I would you know take the medication get back out there and just continue to re-injure myself worse and worse to the point where it was I had two herniated discs and it was pinching my sciatic nerve so there was a point where I could barely I could barely step forward with my right leg I was walking around like I was you know 80 90 years old or something and you served in Iraq in this condition how how did how did you manage the pain um you had Uh, you had the opioids but I would imagine you only had so much available to you. So how did you manage it? They, so they, I was getting cortisone shots at the time. So I would get the cortisone shots. I'd feel better for a while. And, uh, but I didn't, I wasn't taking the time. I didn't, I didn't have the knowledge to let myself heal. So I'd run right back out there and within a couple of weeks, you know, be right back to right back to square one to the point where, uh, they they ended up having to send me over into the green zone to get you know more cortisone shots and stuff like that. So towards the end of my deployment, I ended up getting stuck out on this remote base, to where I was you know there was a lot of downtime out there and it kind of allowed me allowed me time to heal. But with the time, you know I I wasn't a healthy minded person at that time, so I wasn't eating good. I wasn't exercising outside of that. Um, so. I ended up gaining a bunch of weight, became very, very depressed. And then uh, that was like right up until the time we had come back stateside. And then when we came back stateside, it was kind of, I mean, in all reality, all, all hell broke loose. And let me ask you this. When you, um, when you, were, when you were isolated in Iraq and you came back stateside, you still had access, I would imagine, to the painkillers. What what was your body doing? How did you respond to that? And what was that like for you in conjunction with the transition of coming back to the States after being deployed in Iraq for so long? Um, so the, I just had, I needed the, the, the painkillers were out. They left me on them for about two and a half years. And so um, I remember, I remember the, the, I, I would just, they had became, you know, they were like popping Tylenol. They were like nothing, you know, what, what some regular person might take and it would mess them all up. Like it didn't even do anything. My tolerance ended up being so high and this and that. And I remember the first time I, I went without the pills, um, I, I thought I had food poisoning and then I later found out that I was going through withdrawals mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it, you, I look back at it now and realize, you know, that that was a, a turning point where, you know, you make, you make a decision to do you continue to do this or, or do you fight through it? And just at the time, you know, uh, dealing with some of the, the mental health issues I started dealing with once I came back stateside, just knowing that I could get this horrible crappy feeling to go away by taking a pill was, you know, at that, at that time was a no brainer to me. So I just kept taking them. And then, you know, later on it, once, once the painkillers were gone, I ended up, you know, graduating into heavier opiates, which later led me to heroin addiction. You know, when you put it, first of all, we, we so appreciate your candor in the background because sometimes no, with no malintent, people don't understand how addiction happens. And in your case, it was simply an injury where your body and your mind was likely programmed to respond to a painkiller differently than someone else's and you didn't know that at the time right yeah one I, I speak a lot of different places and one of the things I always tell people is like 
it, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. You know, addiction has this stigma that, you know, you're from a bad, rough neighborhood or, you know, what, whatever the case may be, but it can, you know, if you're, if your chemical balance in your head is meant to react to a, a drug a certain way than it does. And so it can grab a hold of me or anybody else just as easy as the next person. Sean, do you ever speak to um, people in the military, um, given your platform now, about the dangers of prescribing opioids? Because that's what led you down this path initially. And it seems like there must be a better way. Do you ever have the opportunity to talk to people about that? Yeah, I, I actually work with with other veterans in, in a local treatment center. That's that's a big part of what I do now. Um, I'm working on getting out there and, and speaking to larger and larger, larger audiences as I go. Um, but, you know, my main focus now is just kind of being able to use all my past experience and, and share to them, you know, they, they don't understand, you know, that the, it, it, it really bothers me for veterans or any person for that matter to walk into a walk into a doctor's office and, you know, you say you're feeling a little off or, you know, your knees hurt or whatever, whatever the case may be. And uh, the first thing they do is, is they prescribe you pills for whatever reason. And I'm, I'm not saying people don't need pills, but nobody ever addresses it from the standpoint of like, are you exercising? What are you eating? How are you sleeping? And that, that it really bothers me. So I try to talk with any of the people that I, you know, speak with about that. That's wonderful. Go ahead. Go ahead. Lisa. I was going to ask. So, so when did you end up leaving the military? Was that after you came back? Like how, how long after you came back? When did you leave the military and what happened so, after that? I, I ended up getting out in 2011 and um, within a very, very short amount of time, once we had gotten back and then between that and the time I got out, um, I had a, I lost my, my best friend in the world. He had developed a uh, addiction of his own. And so I lost him to an overdose. And, uh, then my, my squad leader was in a, a very tragic event where he took both his wife and his, and his own life. And then very shortly after that, uh, another one of my very good friends went home on leave and they found, uh, they found him passed out next to his mother who was dead from, blunt force trauma to the head he had gotten so oh so God. drunk and so messed up with medication that he actually blacked out and, and killed his mom so all that stuff happened within a couple months of me getting back and and transitioning out of the military and then like i said i had i had developed the opioid addiction into into heroin so like i, I had said earlier kind of all hell broke loose i ended up getting DWI within my, the first couple of weeks of me getting out and then I got arrested like two consecutive times both for for drug possession so that landed me in jail very quickly after getting out. So when you when you were in jail on the heels of these multiple tragic events of people close to you how, how are you able to just move forward if at all what was that like for you? Um, it, it, it took a long, a long, long time. Um, I went away for, I ended up going away for almost two years and, uh, got out and, you know, I, I had tried this thing for, for many years of, I figured if I would just, I'm like, ah, if I, if I just move here, you know, I just need a fresh start, everything will be okay. 
Mm-hmm. And then I would move there and then everything would fall apart. And then I'd move somewhere else or do something different and everything would fall apart. And I needed to, I needed to continue down that path to finally realize that I was the problem. No matter where I went, I was still there. So I had to change something about myself. How so, did you figure that out? Because generally when one is incarcerated, there aren't a lot of resources available to help you reach that conclusion. What, how did you find that within yourself? Because that in and of itself is pretty amazing given what tools you did not have at the time to deal with all the things that were happening. Well, I, I definitely didn't come to that conclusion while, while I was away in prison. Um, okay. that, that is just like a, I mean, there's, there's not much uh, reform going on in there. It's, you know, just trying to keep yourself safe and get through each day and, and this and that. So I got out and continued down the same path. The addiction wasn't gone. I never really truly addressed it. And so I continued to use and I got in even more trouble. And I, now looking back on everything, I realized I came to that conclusion. I ended up getting arrested two more times for, for possession. Mm-hmm. So now, now I had four felonies all for uh, possession of a controlled substance. And this was and all in this. I'm sorry. This was all in Texas too, right? Yes. All in Texas, which it has a really, really um, strict, tough system, penalty system for consecutive Texas. felonies. Texas does not, does not play around. No, they so don't. They, they wanted to, they were going to take my, uh, I remember I got, my, I got, I got my lawyer uh-huh. and uh, I, was, I was standing there, I was sitting there with my lawyer and he looked at all my file and everything. And he looked up and he was like, I'm not sure what you want me to do with this. And he's like, oh, they got you. They want to enhance your fourth felony. They want to charge you um, with a habitual and um, the judges, he's looking to give you 20 years and he's not going to budge. And my jaw dropped. Oh. And so the, this whole lifestyle that I wanted to lead that, you know, that I was in this delusion that I, that I was leading, um, it, it just, it's, it scared me. And sure. it, it, that, that's the moment right there where I'm like, I, you know, I have to change something. I have to do something, but at the t- so that I would say that that was like the turning point. And I remember him saying 20 years. And so I thought it was a foregone conclusion. I was going away. And so I had asked him, could he just get me some time to try to get back on the speaking terms with my family? Because I had been putting my family through stuff for these past couple of years and they were just, they were done with me. They had to be. And so I asked for that and I asked for some, if he could get me some time so I could try to get some treatment to clean up so I didn't have to go away, you know, and, and be in jail, kick, kicking, kicking heroin and all this stuff. So he did, he got, he got me some time. So I was able to get my, my court cases continued there for almost eight months where I went and I did. That's what, a good lawyer, by the way, especially in Texas. I'm impressed with that. I was, I was, I was, I was lucky to have a, a you know, a paid attorney. And yeah. I, I feel like, it, I feel like it, it made a difference. He really, he did, he did some good stuff and it even, it even got better eventually. But so I had done all the treatment at the VA. I had basically overstayed my welcome I had done eight months at the VA and they were like all right you got to go so I uh my my mother came down to visit and so I had started going to AA I had started started looking in the mirror and realizing I didn't like who I saw physically I had let myself go and so I had started going on long walks and you know trying to cut back on sugar and and making steps towards a healthier life Mm 
And, but this whole time I was, you know, it was the first time I honestly was trying to be a better person. And so I remember taking this folder of, of all my paperwork that I had done at the VA and we went and we sat down with my lawyer and I handed him the folder. And I also had all these letters from the people that I had began to go to AA with. And so they kind of wrote me a bunch of character letters. So I handed the folder to my lawyer and my mom's sitting next to me and he looked up and he was just like, wow, I never, I never expected this. He goes, you really gave me something to work for. You know, let me, let me contact the judge and see what he has to say. Wow. So he contacted, he contacted the judge and he came back and he goes, whatever you're doing, I need you to keep doing it. You know, we have the real shot at possibly getting you probation. Wow. And I'm, I remember my mom just, you know, tears started flowing. And that right there was the moment where I was like, you know, this is my last shot. I'm right now I'm willing to do whatever it takes to change this. And so the the turning point for me was being put into a position that was so uncomfortable where, you know, a rock bottom where I had to change something because this was no longer okay. And it was the, the first time I had had hope and I didn't know how long. So. And you did that yourself. You really, you started that process, obviously, in that, in those eight months. And how, how at this point in time, or where on the timeline did you find back on my feet? So once the lawyer had told me to keep doing whatever I was doing, um, like I said, I was, I had overstayed my welcome at the VA. So I was starting to look at other options for whatever, you know, type thing that the VA might be able to hook me up with. So they told me about a, a small nonprofit treatment center here in Austin and uh, it's called a new entry. And so I went there It's a six month inpatient uh, facility and it, it's the way they have it set up is really good, you know, to, to know I, that I had used and done all these things for so many years for, for people to be under the delusion that they could go away for, you know, a 30 day treatment and fix all that is, is very silly. And I've never, I've never seen it work. I'm not saying it can't work, but just in my field, I don't see it work often. So I, I became willing to do whatever it took. So I went to this six month treatment facility and, uh, you know, it starts off, you're on lockdown. And then as you go a couple months in, you can kind of venture out and start going to meetings and start going to outside stuff. And so, I'd heard about this little run group that met very close to where we were at. And I went and checked it out and it was, it was a very good step for me getting into the running world because not being a runner coming into the running world, you know, is, is a little, uh, intimidating. What's, <laughs> intimidating. <laughs> See the guys run, you know, I never thought I'd be one of the guys running around the lake with his shirt off and, <laughs> and all this stuff. But so, I mean, at the time I was still, smoking a pack of Newports a day and I showed up and I couldn't even run two miles. And, uh, but, you know, I just remember that sense of accomplishment that, you know, I went back to the treatment center that day and I had ran the two miles and just my whole day was better. Wow. And so I just, I just kept going back. And then luckily I met a, uh, luckily I met a, a very close friend of mine through there and she introduced me into the trail running world and she took me to my first race so my first race was a 10K, so I went and ran this 10K trail, and I just remember coming across the line. Wait, wait, wait. Let me ask you this. Did you stop smoking before that 10K, or were you still smoking? No, no, no. I, I stopped smoking within within the first, I would say, two weeks of running, I was done. Okay. Go ahead. I did not, I did not, like, 
I did not like how comfortable I, uh, how uncomfortable I felt while running. So, you know, I'm, I may have smoked a couple of cigarettes after that first run, but very shortly after that, I was done. So you went and you did a 10K within a relatively short time after stopping smoking and running two miles where you found it to be very difficult. Yeah, within, yeah, within, the, first, within the first two months of, mm-hmm. of running, she took me to this 10K race, and I ran that. And I just remember, you know, as adults – people not in the running world or not, you know, in any type of physical fitness type of uh, environment. Like I think adults lose the the sensation of feeling that sense of accomplishment, you know? And so just the sense of the sense of accomplishment I got crossing the finish line and they put this big, heavy, heavy metal around my neck. I was just like, Oh, I like this. Like I want more. Yeah. So I just, I put it up on my wall and I was just determined to put as many medals up on my wall as I could. And thankfully, she saw something in me that I didn't. And uh, so my first race was a 10K. My second race was a 30K. My next race was a 50K. And how did you, how did you train for these? How, how, how were you training? Were you training with your with your friend? Were you training with the group? How, how, how were you doing the training? Um, I just had branched. Luckily, she introduced me into the trail running world and then kind of the, the Austin running community as a whole. And so... Like I'm sure you have in DC, you know, running groups got their certain runs, yeah. you know, their Tuesday, Tuesday speed day, Thursday pace day, Saturday long run. And so I just started doing that, and uh, all the way up, I did my my goal. I got really lucky that I found something, an avenue to apply, kind of apply my addict mentality. Mm-hmm. So that that's a big thing. What running did for me, it gave my mind this outlet. And so finding that sense of accomplishment. So my goal became I wanted to run 100K and within my first year of running. And so uh, I didn't follow any training plan. I didn't have any coaching at the time. Um, you know, I just went to every run that I could. And then, you know, the the running community was just these these amazing supportive people that, that I met that, you know, I, that's really what set me up for success with, with the treatment and sobriety was, you know, people will go away to treatment and then they try to go back out into the same environment and it never seems to work out. You can't go around the same people or the same places and expect a different outcome. Right. And so, so I, while I was in this treatment center, I built this, didn't even realize it, but I ended up building this amazing foundation of supportive, positive, successful people that all, they all had something I wanted in life, which was happiness, honesty, successful, so I started hanging around all these people and, you know, they embraced me. And so I found something I was passionate about. That's and, uh, and let me ask you a question um, before we continue. I just, I'm curious what started your addiction was an injury that led to taking painkillers. Did that injury ever resurface while you were doing all of this running all of a sudden? So I noticed, and, and this was one thing that the doctors never at any time said to me, was like I, I had I'd let myself go I had gained some weight so at that time before I had started running I was about 260 and uh you know now I'm like a natural 195 and I and I run all the time so losing that weight and actually taking the time to let my body heal is what I feel like made you know made all the difference in the world for my back so 
occasionally on, you know, some of these really long ultra races, my, my back will start bothering me. Um, but nowhere near to the degree that it used to. That's incredible. So you must have also changed your diet as well when you started doing all this running. To, I mean, that's an incredible amount of weight. And did you did you get more education on sort of the right foods to eat and fuel to, to be able to fuel these runs you were suddenly doing? Um, so I just listening uh, through, through this whole time, I discovered podcasts mm-hmm. and the educate, you know, that kind of the education factor here and some of the stuff you're not going to hear on TV or with commercials and all that stuff. So I just started drinking lots of water and cutting back on sugar and, and started off very small and then, you know, cut, cut down on liquid calories and then, you know, cut back on breads and pastas and stuff like that. So just a healthy balance, you know, trying to eat good, good whole foods, fruits and vegetables and not eat you know, stop with the fast food, but, but little, little by little making those changes. You know, I, I, I would hear a lot of people always talk about a diet. Um, but one thing my mom always drilled to me, drilled into me as a, as a kid was like, you need to make lasting, lasting changes. So if, if you're done with sugar, you're done with sugar. It's not like, you know, you're going to try a fad diet for a week. So just trying to eat healthy, basically. Sounds like you have a very smart mother. <laughs> She, she, she has her she has her doctorate degree in uh, human performance and exercise science. Oh, so what a great resource for you! This so, wealth of knowledge my whole life, and she would always tell me go exercise, go for a run, go for a walk. And now, like many things in my life, I look back and say, if I only would listen to my mom. <laughs> does she does she give you advice now? Does she help you with training and and with training advice now? Um. She, she, where she, where she can, yes. Got it. Okay. So you, you had mentioned you did, it started with the 10 I've kind of, sur- oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I've kind of submerged myself into the world so much that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of up, up to where she is on, you know, yeah. running knowledge and, and diet, but where she can, she definitely does. That's, that's great. And you had said, you, you know, you started with a 10 K, you moved to a 30 K, 50 K. What's your, what's your latest accomplishment? Um, so I, I ran a, a hundred miler back in November. Yeah. Uh, it was called, called Pinoti. And uh, I did that within, you know, my, like I said, my first, my first goal was a hundred K in the first year. And then I wanted to run a hundred miler in the second year. What, um, what was that like? What was that like? What, what do you, what did you, know, what was your takeaway from that? It was the, it was the hardest, but the best thing I've ever done in my entire life. Wow. So I, I mean that, when, when you go when you go through some something like that and all the ups and the downs um, and then you, your your everyday problems all of a sudden become become much smaller so when something happens throughout my day like that's always in the back of my mind that I accomplished that so whatever little things happening to me now just doesn't seem as important you yeah, know what I mean sure it's it's a tangible example of what you can do your body and your mind are capable of so when you have a smaller challenge in your life, you can always draw on that. And that's what's so great about running is that when we feel strong in our running and we accomplish big things, we realize that we can transfer that over to other aspects of our life, which you certainly are doing. Right. Hands down. And I look back, I mean, there was a, I don't know, you guys would probably know more about it than me, but there's, do you, do you guys notice with, you know, the marathons or, or any of that, there's a, I'm sure, 
I think it has to do with, you know, the dopamine or the serotonin in your brain. But like after a super long run, kind of like a little runner's depression you have for a little while after that. Yes, I think definitely there's um, the runner's high and then there's also the runner's low. For example, after um, completing a big race and then not being able to run, obviously, for a few days or weeks after a big race. I know a lot of our runners and including ourselves, you feel down because your body's so used to having those endorphins on a regular basis, but you have to take a break. So right. absolutely. So that leads me to, to a question that we both had, which is you clearly transferred an unhealthy addiction to a very healthy addiction. Um, wh- have you been injured in your running or have you had to take long breaks? And when that happens, do you feel like it's, it's difficult for you to not run particularly because you have, become so submerged in the running life as a way to recover from um, what your life was like before becoming a runner. Right. So um, there was, I've never, I haven't really been, been injured like very, very seriously where I've had to take like, you know, weeks off at a time. But I remember as I was training for the hundred miler that any, any runner would find this humorous. Somebody that doesn't run probably wouldn't understand, but, I, I went to the doctor, I was having some, my, my shins were bothering me, like the insides. And it, it wasn't, you know, I run, I was running so much that it didn't make sense that it was like shin splints or whatever. And unfortunately, the VA is not, you know, sports doctors. So <laughs> I would go, in, I would go in there and I would tell them, you know, I'm, you know, I'm having a little pain here, this and that. And there was always the same answer. They'd say, Oh, you got to quit running. Oh, you got to stop running. And I'm like, well, you don't understand. That's not really an option. So we need to figure out a way around this or whatever. And uh, so the guy was sitting there trying to like sell me on the fact that I needed to stop running. And I was like, look, man, I was like, you know, I've been running for a little while now and I just took three days off and I've never taken three days off before. And everything I look, you know, everything I eat now, I'm feeling fat and I'm checking myself (laughs) in the mirror. and I, I feel guilty about everything I'm eating. And I was like, it's really starting to mess with my head. And I'm, I'm saying this kind of in like a, you know, a joking manner. And he like very seriously looks over at me. He's like, I'm going to need you to report upstairs to mental health and tell them exactly what you just told me. And I was like, oh, man, I was like, you don't. I was like, I'm saying this half joking, but you obviously, you know, you don't you don't run because any runner would understand what I'm talking about. This is why but, we uh, always send our runners. <laughs> we try to tell them, pick doctors, pick physicians right, that run and right. understand this. That's, that's why. That's right. actually super funny. And it's so true. We, we coach a lot of runners and, and hands down, almost every single one will say to us at some point, because they have to take a break for some reason or another, I just don't feel right. I'm getting really antsy. I, I want to get back. I feel like I've lost my fitness. And meanwhile, it's been like, you know, two, three days sometimes. So we, we completely understand. But have, has it, in terms of just thinking about who you were before you found running and, and overcame these huge obstacles and who you are now, when you look back at that time, if you were to give advice to your old self as to how to overcome your addiction and clearly all of the other things surrounding it, all of the tragedies surrounding it that clearly I'm sure caused a lot of PTSD and other things that contributed to needing those chemicals. What would you tell that person? Um, I, I, I feel, somebody asked, I, 
I did an interview with the Austin Marathon, and they asked me a very similar question. And I did. Um, I mean, look, looking back, I, so I look at everything. Somebody, somebody asked me one time, you know, if I if I regret, um, you know, any anything that I've done, and I do regret, you know, the people that hurt got hurt in the process, my family, you know, in particular my mom, um, all the, the pain that I caused. But I, I look back and know that I had to go through everything to, to be who I am today. So I, I don't know that I would, I, w- I wouldn't, you know, honestly, other than the people that got hurt, I wouldn't change a thing because now I, I live this life where I'm, I mentor at-risk youth and I work with vets in the treatment center and I wouldn't be you know, as uniquely qualified to do so if I didn't go through all that stuff. Such a good perspective and such a important perspective to have to not look back with, with regrets or, um, you know, to look back at it in that way. And, um, you know, along, along those lines, like, do you ever, do you ever fear? Um, and it sounds like you're in a really good place now and you've surrounded yourself with people that support you and you've found something that's healthy and it's really turned you around but do you ever fear relapse or do you ever fear that temptation um i do so when i was talking about like the the runner's depression you know i I went i I definitely went through one after the 100 miler i I made the i made the mistake of trying i thought i was gonna me being as as naive and uneducated with only running for two years i thought i was just gonna carry all that training i did for the 100 miler into a a pretty big hundred K uh, within a very short amount of time after that. And I just, I didn't know to, you know, rest or anything like that. And so I ended up, you know, everything started snap crackling and popping as soon as I started trying to run after that. And so I, I went to this time and I had to start asking myself really hard questions like, man, like, you know, do I still love running? You know, is this what I want to do? You know, who am I if I'm, you know, I'm starting to become known as this running guy. What if I don't have that? And luckily I do so much, so much work with other guys in treatment and stuff like that and have this amazing group of people around me that um, it, if I didn't have running, you know, I, I like to think I'd find something else, but uh, you know, working with others is, is, has become what I'm so passionate about. So, you know, that's, that's what I feel makes the biggest difference. Running just accents it very well and, and gives me like a separate avenue to be able to talk to people. Um, as for like, I'm so worried, you know, I, I get up early, you know, I'm, my girlfriend makes fun of me all the time, telling me I'm getting to be an old man because 8.30, 9 o'clock, I'm ready to go to bed. So there's nothing that appeals to me at all about, you know, I live that nightlife and, and, and all that stuff. I don't know. It doesn't, it's not something I think about often. Like I'm always conscious of the fact of my past, but it's not like, you know, it's not some everyday struggle, but it's, it's always something I'm aware of. And, you know, running has helped me kind of discover who I truly was, who I truly am. And so I kind of set a bar, you know, that, that I keep myself accountable to that I need to live up to each day. We love what you said in terms of you hit the nail on the head. You have become Sean who loves to run. You are not just Sean the runner. And right. that's so important because there are many aspects to you and, and the fact that you have dedicated your life to helping others overcome what you've been able to overcome is just a shining example of how we can use our 
tragedies and turn them into triumphs. And it's, it's really just so admirable what you've done. And to that end, we have a lot of um, people in our community who are struggling with addiction or have a loved one who's struggling with addiction. Or anxiety and depression. I think a lot of people turn to running um, to help with that, understandably, for a lot of the same reasons you did. It gives them some structure. It provides a runner's high. You get that same sense of accomplishment or you get a sense of accomplishment that really gives you those endorphins. Um, so so, yeah. so my, my question to you is... Um, what advice do you give to someone who's right now trying to overcome an addiction or and or their loved ones? I know this is a really complicated question, but if there's a couple of takeaways for our listeners who might be going through something right now, I know we know you'd be able to help them. Right. So it's funny. I get that. I get that question so often and it's, I, I always try to pull the person aside at the end of wherever I'm speaking and talk to them one-on-one because it's kind of like this this case-by-case scenario because you, you're, you're dealing with somebody's life. So, you know, in, in some cases, like in my case, you know, I needed to be put in such an uncomfortable position that I needed to have to want to change. And, uh, you know, the the way mothers and and families are are programmed. Nobody wants to turn their back on anybody or, you know what I mean? You only want what's, what's best for your child. So it's so difficult, but um, I mean, if I guess, you know, my, my best advice would be that, you know, there needs to be, and and it's hard to live by, but there needs to be solid rules Mm -hmm. set down to deal with that person. Like, you know, these are the rules you need to live by. If you don't live by these, then, you know, we can no longer communicate or, you know, I'll no longer help you with this, with that. Because unfortunately, when somebody's addicted, you're not really dealing with that person. You're dealing with the addiction. So, you know, every, every time my mom tried to help me and send me a, a gift card to get groceries or something like that, I manipulated it and turned it into what I needed it to be, not what it should have been for. So, um, I mean, there's some people that, that just need some love and, and need to be introduced into a, a good community and, you know, need that support. And then there's other people that need to have those solid rules set down and they need to be followed. And if not, there needs to be serious consequences. It, it, you know, so, so many times mothers and families think they're, think they're helping their son or their daughter or something like that, but they're, they, they need to realize that they're, you're really giving them the means to their end and it's not a good end. That makes perfect sense. And it goes back to um, a comment you said in the beginning of our conversation, which is that you, you can't just change your environment. You have to change yourself. 100%. But, and you can't, the hard thing is, is you, you can want somebody to change themselves, you know, until you're blue in the face, but they need to want to. So what is it going to be to get them to want to, if that makes sense? Yeah, Totally. So what, so tell us now looking towards the future, you've done some pretty amazing, uh, had some pretty amazing accomplishments, impressive accomplishments, which we should mention are, are featured in a documentary on your life called Woke the Monster. Um, people can find information on at wokethemonster.com. Uh, but what, what are your future goals? So what, what's next? Um, I'm really just keep, keep going. All this, uh, 
all this is kind of like uncharted territory for me. So like doing, whether it's doing a podcast or an interview, like it's all, it's all so surreal. Um, I'll give you a quick story that kind of puts it into perspective. Uh, you, you know, the university of Texas is obviously the, you know, the university around here. And there, there's one place where most of the people in Austin run. And uh, it's, it's around a place called town Lake. So I was running around town Lake one day and uh uh, a portion of the UT track team, I'm not sure exactly what part of the track team is, but they're clearly part of, you know, some sort of the track team. So a bunch of young men came running around, they all have their UT gear on. And so for about the last three miles of this run, I was keeping up with them. And there was like one of those silent, uh, you know, me and this guy never looked at each other and said, okay, we're racing. But it was like one of those <laughs> silent things. Game on. We, we, we both know what this is. And so we were kind of jockeying back and forth and uh, he ended up pulling away from me at the very, very end. And, and he was, he was getting a drink of water and he was walking around head held high and like chest out. And I just remember thinking in my head, like, man, I'm, I'm just happy to be here. You know what sure. I mean? I'm, I'm 36 years old and I'm, I'm just excited to even be keeping pace with you. So all this stuff that, that keeps happening, the documentary, um, you know, interviews, podcasts, I'm, I'm just happy to be here. And I'm so you know, it's, it's so humbling and I'm, and so exciting to be able to use my past to help people. So the reason why I, you know, why I agreed to do the documentary or, or any of this stuff is, is when I found out that, you know, people were paying attention and that, you know, I have people direct message me all the time saying how my stories help them get into running or it's helped them start looking towards sobriety or, you know, how inspiring it is with them dealing with their children or so, any, any of that stuff. So just whatever, you know, it's all uncharted territory for me. So whatever shape this stuff takes and wherever it takes me, I'm just being willing to do that and put myself out there and in hopes that it helps somebody. And you certainly are. And speaking of which, tell us how we can find out more about your documentary and its release date and also where people can find you on social media. So uh, as for the documentary, it's, it's woke wokethemonster.com and as soon as you go to that there's a uh the the trailer's up there and um on instagram it's woke the monster documentary um and just a a lot of people ask what woke the monster means and there was a he and i had done a small video for that group back on my feet a couple years ago and i was doing an interview it's a great video oh you saw it okay so in the video where i say you know the I had been put on painkillers and then, you know, I didn't realize that I, I had the, you know, the allergy of addiction in my, in my body and it kind of woke this monster. And so, you know, taking that bad monster and being able to harness and redirect that energy towards good, like running or ultra running and waking that other, that other monster to kind of combat the other one where the name came from. So that's woke the monster documentary on uh, Instagram. And then mine is uh I am underscore Sean Livingston, Sean, S-H-A-W-N. And that, I'm mainly on Instagram. I need to I need to step up my Facebook game. But, but as for right now, most of the stuff That's I right, do on Instagram. Tell us Facebook is only for old people. Yeah, you're, you're, you're a hipster. So you get, you, you're more hip than we are. Um, last question is, when, when is the release date, if there is one, for Woke the Monster? So he and I were just talking about that this morning. We're, we're, we're still finishing up with filming. So 
hopefully filming will be done uh, end of June, beginning of July, and then it'll go in editing. And his plan is to submit it to Sundance or Tribeca or South by Southwest and get it into one of these big film festivals. And then we're, we're targeting an actual release date kind of coordinated with the Austin Marathon this coming year. Fantastic. And so it would get, it would get released locally here in some of the theaters and they would kind of have a little thing around it and then hopefully get put on whatever, you know, big streaming platform. Hopefully we people we can get enough people to share it and talk about it that we can get on Netflix and help some people. Well, we'd love to help you get it out here in the D.C. area. And maybe we'll even take a road trip down there <laughs> to see it at the premiere. And if you're ever in the D.C. area, please let us know so you can come run with us and uh, we can hang out in person. You are extremely inspiring on so many levels, like we said before, not just as Sean the runner, but as Sean the person so uh, really what you're doing is amazing and the fact that running's been a part of it is just a bonus but we're really um, just really honored to have had you on as a guest our first guest perfect way to kick off this series so thank you so much and we hope that we get to run with you one day thank you so much Sean too, absolutely and please anybody anybody that's listening to this if, if they're dealing with somebody that's suffering from addiction they need somebody to talk to about it don't ever hesitate to to direct message me on on instagram or email me through the website and uh, i will get back to them and, and try to give them whatever you know knowledge or know-how or point them in the right direction that i can so no, never anybody hesitate for that thank you sean happy running to thank you. you thank you so much Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye.